You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. For those of you who aren't familiar with City Lights, who haven't been here, uh, we've been in this series, God put on my heart about a month and a half ago. Um, what are you searching for? And we see in Scripture that, that Jesus tells us to have this heart of a child, right? To have faith like a child. And, I, and I just, it kind of came into my heart that so many of us are going through our Christian life looking for more, looking for all the right things to do. There's this search inside of us to find this ultimate fulfillment. And yet we're in church and we're just doing the motion sometimes. And what God really dropped in my heart that the gospel, Christianity, our faith is so much more simpler than we make it out to be. It's the, where I started at is simply to receive the basics of what we're searching for, to find what we've been searching for. We have to know God's love for us. We have to really deeply get his love for us. I talked about it uh, during communion, about the, the prodigal son and how the father is reaching out for us. I'm, I'm challenging us all to realize his grace and his love is bigger than we want to imagine it for ourselves. It's bigger than that. We, we can't even comprehend the depths of his love for us. So we got to begin to look at that. His love is more than we expect. It's more than we know. So when we let ourselves live in love, we also have to recognize that we are created for his presence. It's out of the love, out of the grace of the Father, that we are created to be in the presence of God, to experience God personally every day of our lives. So from that, we also, Kevin preached a few weeks ago about abiding in Christ. And so all the spiritual disciplines, I know we don't like the word discipline, but things like Scripture reading and fasting and prayer and all those things, hospitality and then, uh, all these things, they're not disciplines so that we earn God, but because God loves us, we do these things to experience Him in a deeper and a more abiding sort of way. So we abide in Christ, we experience His love first, and then last week we looked at worship, how worship is one of the main components of abiding in Christ. We looked at David and how even though he did all these horrible things, he was called a man after God's heart. Because David constantly, consistently lived in worship. Whether he was out with the sheep, he's worshiping. Whether he's in the palace on the throne, he was worshiping. He's a man after God's heart because he prioritized worship. And we specifically looked at the aspect of singing last week. Worship in song, worship in creative writing, declaring vocally who God is. And we have to have an expectation in worship. So that's kind of the recap of where we've been, if you, if you don't know. That's, that's what the heart of City Lights are, is right now. So the thing that we're searching for... The, the thing that we try to make religion into is really simple, but it's abiding in love, and all these things begin to see a more fulfilling life in Christ. Make sense? Tracking with me? Great. This morning, I want to talk a little bit more about worship, if I can. This past Wednesday, we had a home group at our house, and some of you may, who are friends with me on Facebook may have seen the picture. Um, Wednesday night, we had home group, and my kids, I have two little girls, six and four, Haley and Faith, and they were up in bed, or I thought they were sleeping. They weren't, apparently. Uh, well, at least one wasn't. But we're in a worship downstairs in our home group, and we're singing, we're singing, um, blessed be the name of the Lord, you know? You guys know that song, blessed be your name? And we're, we went from that to sing, here I am to worship, those two songs. So we sang, sang them, we had a great, great home group that night. The next morning, I'm up getting the girls ready for school. And I walk into Haley's room, and I see her little, her little whiteboard, her little marker board. She's all into drawing and coloring and words, and she's learning to spell and all that stuff. And if you look on my Facebook, I put a picture of it. She had two different boxes she drew. And the top was, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. But she misspelled blessed. Um, it was bless a P, so B-L, 
USP, which I guess from downstairs to upstairs, blessed be the name of the Lord, sound like bless a P. <laughs> blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, turned into hey, I am to wow down. Uh, <laughs> and then worship was spelled with no O, but W-R-P something like that. It was a mess. But like I, could, I saw that and I was just full of like, wow, she's at least hearing us worship and she's writing it out. I love that my kids are getting this deep in them from early age what worship is. Like she, I know she doesn't get the full full experience by just writing words. To her, it was a fun exercise. But that's what we're created to do. You and I are created to enjoy his presence, and worship is a primary part of creating, of being in his presence, seeing who he is. Worship is not meant for God's pleasure. It's meant for us, honestly. When we declare who he is, we receive who he is. He is all sufficient. He has everything he needs. He didn't wake up this morning and cry in his bedroom thinking, I really wish they would worship me today. But he delights in us enjoying him. We are created to worship, to experience him. And so this morning we're going to look a little bit more of worship. One of the dynamics I want to see, and and we're not just talking specifically about music worship this morning. It's, It's there, but not just specifically in what we're doing this morning. But worship... In, in moments of worship, there are moments of tears, of real tears. And this sounds really strange. A couple months ago, uh, I was at a service at a conference, and Haley and Faith were there, and my wife. And during worship, God was just speaking. He was changing my heart, and Haley wanted to sit on my lap. So I'm sitting there holding her, singing, and I'm crying. I'm, like, really crying. And when she found out that I was crying... It didn't make any sense to her. And so I am trying to explain to a six-year-old that these tears are really good tears. <laughs> like, you're crying because you're happy? Yes, I'm crying because I'm happy. I'm crying because God's saying stuff. And when God says stuff, sometimes it hits my heart and it makes me cry. And to her, that's like, what? what? <laughs> okay, that's crying because he's happy. I've never seen my sister do that, but okay. <laughs> there, there, in his presence, in worship, there are these moments of real tears. I want to look, if we can, at Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. And I'm sure it's a passage you're familiar with, but let's look at it together this morning. So verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flax of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him, Said, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 5,000 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I supposed for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Get this. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. 
but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She has loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So here we have this passage. And actually, this, is, this, this story, there's two different examples of the same sort of thing happening. Most scholars believe that the, the example that we see in John, Matthew, and Mark are di- a, different, a different example of the same sort of thing where a woman is breaking this ointment and pouring it on Jesus' feet. We have two different stories, it looks like. And in this one here, we have a Pharisee named Simon who invites Jesus into his house. Now, instantly, if you're a part of any church for any length of time, you hear the word Pharisee and you begin to like, ugh, the devil. We all just boo, ooh, boo, Pharisees. But Pharisees, Pharisees, honestly, some scholars believe Jesus was a Pharisee. He didn't get along with them because he was a lot different. But a Pharisee, he studied the Scripture. He knew the Scripture. He was a part of a specific way of belief. And so this man of this way of belief, he invites Jesus into his house. And Jesus comes over. We have built this thing in our heart against Pharisees where every time Jesus is angry, it's against Pharisees, and he's just constantly damning them to hell and getting them out of, out of everything. But Jesus responds by coming into his house. To me, that means something. Jesus isn't writing him off. Jesus doesn't just see his heart and say, forget you, I don't need to waste my time there. He knew this is an invite, so he's going to go. But see, the Pharisee isn't looking to befriend Jesus or receive from Jesus. The Pharisee is looking for, to test Jesus. The first thing the Pharisee does when he sees this woman is begin saying, you weren't a prophet. I, I was trying to see if you were a prophet. He's not a prophet. And I love Jesus' response. If you look at the, va- the passage, the Pharisee says in himself, he's not a prophet. And Jesus says, let me tell you what you're thinking. <laughs> Jesus basically says, yeah, I am a prophet, but I'm not going to say that out loud right now. I am a prophet. I know your heart right now. Simon, this is what's happening. Jesus responds to this Pharisee trying to trap him. Sometimes... Let me, let me paint a little bit of a different picture. Sometimes we also are like this Pharisee that we come into church and we're not looking to worship, but we're looking to test him. We're looking to test God. We have him in our presence, but yet we're not quite ready to pour out our ointment or wash his feet. We're looking, we're looking like, may, you know what? Maybe you're not who you say you are because, because it wasn't fair that you did that. It's not fair that you poured your spirit on them and not me. Or it's not fair that you healed this person and not me. So sometimes we walk into church services and we're already in testing mode. We're already trying to examine things. And everybody in the church, are they good? Are they bad? Do I agree with them here, there, everywhere? It's, it's a mess. And we're not coming in to worship. I want to challenge our hearts that when we get in his presence, we have to say, let's stop testing. Let's stop testing everybody. And, 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 and if God's good enough to worship, guess what he is? He's good enough to worship. So let's just worship. When this woman, this sinner comes into the house, she's not looking to put Jesus on a trial. She's looking to worship him. This Pharisee was not looking to worship. 
So Jesus tells the story. He tells the story of, of two people who owed a debt. 20 months worth of wages versus two months worth of wages. And Jesus says, who, who feels the most love? Who feels the most love for this person who forgave? And the Pharisee says, the guy who had the larger debt. Jesus is trying to teach him, look, you don't even recognize your debt. You don't even recognize what you're doing. This woman here recognizes her debt, and so she's responding in love. You did nothing for me. You did nothing at all. See, in that culture, to be invited into the house meant you washed the feet. You took care of them. And Jesus says, you didn't even do the traditional method of hosting me. You wouldn't even go that far of doing tradition but she's went well beyond tradition. She, she didn't do the traditional thing. She went beyond that. All that she had, all of her worth, her tears, her hair, everything she poured out on me while you didn't even do tradition. Sometimes we get so religious and, and we live this Christian life, we don't recognize the depths of our sin, the depths of what we've been forgiven of, that when we come to church, we can barely get through the lyrics out of tradition or religion. We're just barely singing anything. And yet we're pointing at the one who's like ecstatic in worship. And we're judging them. They recognize their sin. They recognize their brokenness. And they're pouring out excessively worship. They're pouring out extra worship. And yet we get pious and think, well, I did what I, I needed to do. Jesus says, you didn't even do what you needed to do. She went beyond that. Being traditional... Being religious at that moment, she sh- he should have washed the feet, and he didn't even do that. But a heart that has been removed of debt, a heart that simply loves Jesus, will pour out perfume, will cry tears, will put down their hair. That in itself was something a woman would not do in that culture. She was going beyond cultural limits. She was pushing the envelope if you will, being vulnerable, being exposed, being broken, being poor in front of him because there was a real sense of urgency. She knew the debt she had. She knew who Christ was and wanted all that he was. She wanted to love him. <clears throat> Our worship is, should always be a response of a debt forgiven. It should always be in response to how great his love is for us. That's why she was able to worship. See, we can have in worship these moments of tears of joy, of of complete worship, of complete excitement of who he is and what he's done. We can also have these moments of complete conviction, complete recognition of our brokenness. That's good too in worship. There is a thing we see in Corinthians such as godly sorrow where we recognize how messed up we were but how big of forgiveness we received. It's good to have those tears as well. I've, I've sat in worship. I've sat in experiences where I've cried before God not because I just saw his grandeur and his beauty but I've also seen my brokenness and what he saved me from. That's what our worship should be. It should be either worship of knowing who he is or also recognition of what we were. We were dead and now we're alive. Here she is knowing her sins, knowing her brokenness, and she comes in there anyway. Her, her brokenness was on display in that moment. But when she left his presence, she was forgiven. She was clean. 
There was no brokenness. I want, I want you to see some of the intentionality of this moment, okay? I want you to see what happens here. She didn't just wander into this room, right? She didn't just wander in, but she was intentional about it. Have you, have you, let me ask you this. Have you ever been invited or have you ever gone to a party where you weren't invited? Or ever gone to somebody's house where you kind of felt like the oddball, like, what am I doing at this wedding? Like, I don't know anybody here. Yeah, maybe the church you've been in. I don't know what I'm doing here. You ever just feel completely like this is the worst place possible for me to be? I've been in meetings like that. I've I've been like, why am I even at this table? I don't, like all these people are awesome and I, I don't know what I'm doing right now. I got nothing to give. Like when you feel like the odd one at the party, it's just really bad. Like you hide in the corner and you like pretend to be on your phone for a while. Like, you know, I got important calls to make and texts right now. This lady was not invited to this meeting. She was not. This is a group of men with a Pharisee, a religious leader, and Jesus, the Jesus, all sitting together eating a meal. And she comes into the house. Do you ever, do you ever um, go somewhere and you realize what you see? Maybe it wasn't you, but maybe it was somebody else who you knew was not invited to the room. And then instead of just hiding in the back like I do, they, like, st- stood on a table and started talking to everybody. Or, like, they, they made themselves a spectacle. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like, that person, like, why are you even here? Everybody's listening to you right now. Like, that's basically what was happening. Jesus and, and, and these people are sitting together. No, they're not even sitting. We've got to see the, the historical context. It's not like the Last Supper that we see everybody's in a nice chair in a line for the picture, you know, get the Polaroid shot. This is... This is they're laying at a table. You have a table low to the ground, and everybody is laying on their stomachs eating, which is a really awkward position to eat, just being honestly. Thanksgiving, instead of laying like this, you're all going to be laying like this, pants undone, just like, oh, I'm done. So, I, I mean, honestly, we should do that in our house. I'd eat a lot less if I was laying on my stomach eating food. Anyway, that's what's happening. And so they're all laying on their stomach, and she comes into the room, and she's behind Jesus. Jesus, imagine, Jesus is laying here, and the Pharisee's on the other side looking at Jesus, and she comes behind his feet. He's not looking at her, and she begins to break her oil and pour it on his feet and kiss his feet and wash his feet. She lets her hair down, her, her crown of, of, of beauty, of glory. She puts it down and begins to dry his feet with her hair. Meanwhile, Jesus isn't even looking at her. You, imagine if you're one of the other, the other people in the room. You're all like, sorry, Jesus, I can't even hear you right now. There's some lady kissing your feet. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you not feel that? <laughs> you, you don't know? You, didn't, you don't smell that in the air, the, the, the ointment, that two, two years' worth of oil poured out on your feet? You don't smell that? Like, this is a really awkward dinner party. <laughs> it really is. This is a strange moment. And Jesus is just like, he sees... He's looking at, at Simon, the Pharisee, and Simon's like, this guy's not even prophetic. He doesn't know this lady's anointing his feet. He doesn't know she's a sinner, a big sinner. She's known in the town as being a sinner. Like, it's a pretty big deal. He's, he's just letting this happen. Clearly, he's not too observant, let alone prophetic. He, he's, and Jesus sees his heart, and he begins to address him. He speaks to him. He pulls out his heart. And then what's he do? Verse verse 43. Simon answers the one with the larger debt, and he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, 
Literally, Jesus is having, he's not paying attention to the woman. He sees the heart of Simon exposed, and he turns around and begins to look at her and not address him, but yet talking to him. Do you see what's happening? This is a cultural change. I am honoring her who's pouring out her worship rather than you, the host, because she has poured out everything on my feet. You haven't done anything for me. You haven't recognized your sin. You don't recognize your brokenness. So I'm going to honor her in this moment instead of the host. This is a big moment. You know what I love about, about Luke? He never says her sin, and he never gives her name. That's strange. He gives Simon's name. I believe, and a lot of other people believe, it's to protect her. He, he no longer wanted her known as the woman of sin, the woman of brokenness, the woman who was outcast. But now she's forgiven. That's the identity that you and I have to wear in worship. We don't have to have these names and these titles and this past on us. We walk in the new identity of being forgiven in Christ. Too many, too many Christians are trying to build their name and that as their identity, their career or their whatever. When we should be building the identity of Christ. I'm in Christ. And all that I have is two years worth of stuff is his. That's the identity that I want. That's the reputation that I want. A heart of worship that recognizes my former brokenness and who I am now in Christ. She was intentional. She wanted to worship. She wanted to experience his love. She wanted to experience his grace. And that takes intentionality sometimes. Not sometimes, all the time. It takes us being intentional. Too often, we make these excuses for ourselves. That we're just too busy. We don't have the time. But yet, last night, we spent three hours binging on Netflix. (laughs) We don't have the time, right? Man, our Netflix queue is full. (laughs) We're ready. Or maybe it's not Netflix for you. Some of you are like, what's Netflix? I don't know. But we always busy ourselves with all these things. Worship is intentional. Most Christians aren't even willing to get up on time for church on Sunday morning to worship. Worship is always intentional. It's always saying, this is what I'm doing. I'm going for worship. I'm taking with me my box of stuff. And I'm going into the place that I don't belong in front of everybody because I'm willing to just experience his love. That's all I want. She didn't care about tradition. She didn't care about regulations. She didn't care about anything other than being intentional. I want to worship at his feet. That's what I'm doing. David had a heart like that. I want a heart like that, that I'm intentional about his presence. Let me tell you, tears of joy and conviction in the midst of his presence and in his worship are the most important moments of my life. I would not trade them for anything. They're more important and more value and worth than any concert I've ever been to, any football game I've ever experienced. I'm a Dolphins fan. I've seen Dan Marino play twice. Guess what? I remember worship experience more than I remember that game as a kid. There's a higher value in tears of joy, tears of repentance in worship in his presence than any concert, any TV show I've ever watched. And I, I, I I I used to want to be a director in Hollywood. I love film. I love theater. I've seen plays on Broadway. But guess what? Worship experience is way better than Broadway. It's way better than any movie I've ever seen. 
It's better than any sport I've ever played, any event that I've ever been to. It's better than any wing night out with the guys. Better than anything that you can think of doing. Worship experiencing the presence of God, tears of sorrow or repentance or joy in his presence is of more value. So we have to view it that way and be intentional about getting there. Make sense? Those things aren't bad. Those things that I mentioned, they're not sin. I'm not going to say that. I'm not that guy. Go burn all your DVDs, CDs, and never go to it. That's not me. That's religion. That's not the gospel. <laughs> Those things are meant for us to enjoy, but if we are not enjoying him, we've got it all messed up. You might have heard this quote before, but C.S. Lewis said this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant to be offered a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's what we do. We say that we're too busy for his presence, but we are really far too easily pleased with silly things. We're supposed to enjoy them, but we are created to enjoy him. In those things, we should glorify and worship him. In food, in drink, in sex, in entertainment, we should be looking for ways to glorify and delight in what he's created, how good he is, and how great his love is for us. But we have to intentionally be seeking his presence, not getting distracted. I don't even know what time it is right now. I'm sorry. All right, we're good. We're good. (laughs) You can tell he's not from here. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Hosting people versus hosting him. When you host him, okay, let me, let me go back. Um, as a kid, my mom, she's, she was known as Miss Hospitality. My wife has got that same gifting. Known as Miss Hospitality, right? But I used to, it used to drive me nuts that there were these green goblets in our cupboard and these nice plates that we could not touch. <laughs> I could not drink out of those things. Every once in a while, when I became a teenager and I realized I can do this, I would get one of those goblets out and I would say, Mom, I'm drinking from a goblet for orange juice this morning. Look at this orange juice. She'd be like, you better wash that. I'm like, of course, I wash everything. That's one of my chores. I'm going to wash it. But like, there's this thing of like, when, when, when you're waiting for a special guest, all of a sudden, Christmas and Thanksgiving, we would have candles everywhere. We'd have all this nice decorative plates we're eating off with, like, real, real silverware, you know? You ever, you ever go to a wedding and, like, you're like, oh, this is nice. You pick up the silverware. That's silver and it's plastic. Like, I've been deceived. I, I felt special for a moment. And now I realize I'm holding plastic. <laughs> gold-colored plastic. When you're hosting somebody of value, you put it all out there, don't you? Simon the Pharisee did not do that at all. He didn't even, he, he basically sent out paperware. He sent out paper. His, his sandwich or whatever it was they were eating, I don't know, was leaking through the thing. <laughs> I may, that's not in the scripture. Don't look for that. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, I'm just making up stories. He shows up and he gets a spork to eat with. Nobody wants a spork. Like, come on. 
Especially like once one side, we have this one at our house, it's like a fork, and the other side's like a knife. I'm like, isn't that dangerous? I'm putting a fork in my knife and cutting my cheeks at the same time. It doesn't make sense. When you host somebody of value, though, all of a sudden at Christmas and Thanksgiving, when all the family and all the cousins and my grandma was coming over, every nice plate was laid out. You guys are all going to do the same thing, most of you. But when it's just you and your wife or just you and your kids, you're like, just, just rip the McDonald's bag, eat off of that, it's fine. <laughs> You'll be all right, you know. I want to be, and I'm not saying this to sound religious and stuff. I'm not saying at home I want my wife to sit out fine china and, you know, treat me like a king and stuff. Not always, occasionally. <laughs> I'm not saying that. With intimacy does come this sort of like, but the danger in Christianity, the danger with us is sometimes we get intimate to where we get complacent and we get kind of like apathetical. Like his presence really is just kind of the same thing. I remember in, in Lancaster as a kid, um, there's Dutch Wonderland. Anybody ever been to Dutch Wonderland? You know what I'm talking about? I remember as a kid, Dutch Wonderland was like epic. Like I'd go in the Dutch Wonderland and like the sky princess, what a thrilling roller coaster and then when you get older you're like the sky princess really it's got one hump <laughs> like it's not really thrilling sometimes what we do in this christian life we do the same thing with god because we've been in church a while we kind of lose our, our sense of awe we are created to constantly engage in his presence to where we always have a sense of awe god continues to reveal himself but some of us have just kind of shut it off as if we're in christ we're good you know, here's, here, here's the same old that I did yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. I want to challenge us to not do that. To not get apathetic with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, yeah. the one who created everything, the one who has redeemed you. Like I said earlier, you weren't just bad, you were dead. And now you're alive in Christ. Yeah. Let's not be people who take his presence for, for granted. Let's lay it all out there, the best that we have. Let's go into worship with everything exposed. This morning, what, what I, we're going to go back into one more song of worship. But even worship outside of these four walls, whatever your moments of worship looks like, I want, I want you to be intentional. I want us to realize worship is intentionality. It's, it's saying, God, I want your presence. And so I want to see my former brokenness, the debt that I've been forgiven of, and then give you everything in response to that. I want to have a heart of worship, not a heart of religion. I want to have a heart that knows the debt that I've been forgiven of. I want to have a heart like David, a man after God's heart, who valued worship. I said earlier that we can only value these things, that all these gifts, these prayer and worship, and all these other things in the Christian life can only have weight when we recognize the depths of his love, the depths of grace. I, would, I firmly believe that too many Christians don't even have a fragment of how deep grace goes. We make our traditional and, and systematic boxes of what grace looks like. But here you have a woman that shouldn't be in the room and Jesus shows her complete love and forgiveness and admiration. I love it. Jesus always did that. Jesus always looked at the one that by the world's view, was right and perfect and said, yeah, I'm going to forget about you for a second because this one here gets it. This one here gets what, she's, what she needs. She needs my presence. She needs me. 
I love that. Jesus is always, it was the disciples most of the time. If it wasn't the disciples, it was the Pharisees. One of them were always like, get the kids out of here. Get that lady out of here. What do you mean who touched you? Get out of here. Let's move. We got a schedule, Jesus. You can't do that in worship. You can't make a schedule. You just spend time in his presence. That's the schedule. Everything else is just secondary. Everything else is just to-do lists. His presence is the schedule. Can we stand? Let's worship. Father, this morning we we ask that you would be of the utmost value in the things that we sing, the, the, the lyrics of our heart, whether corporately together in this moment or at home or while we're driving or while we're at work. Whatever those moments of worship look like, God, let us pour out all that we have, all of our worth, because we recognize you have given us life. The very life that we breathe is yours. God, I ask that you would stir the Holy Spirit deeper in us to see the depths of your grace in a new way. Jesus, be glorified in this worship.